please pray with me. Father, what we just sang, may that be the posture of our hearts. Maybe that's not what we were like, what we felt like when we came in. But Jesus, would you bring us to that place to surrender all to you, to surrender all our hopes and dreams, to surrender the things that we long for you to do in our lives, our plans, places of pain and suffering, we surrender to you. Jesus, you are our good shepherd. You have come to make all things new. And so as we come and hear your word, as we gather around it, Lord, as we come to the table in a bit, would you come, refresh, restore, and renew us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. One of the things that that Advent does, among many as we journey in this season of Advent, on this third Sunday of Advent, Advent invites you and me to live life with eternity in view. I want to say that again, so we're going to look at this morning. Advent invites us to live life with eternity in view. Throughout the scriptures, what we find is that hope is held out over and over again, that one day all that's wrong in this world and all that's wrong in our lives will one day be made right when Jesus brings the new heavens and the new earth among us. And friends, that's the good news we need to hear today. So we're going to be looking at for the next few minutes. I read a story the other day about a woman named Joan. She was one who lived with this real hope, not just the hope that she had eternity with Jesus, but she lived with hope right here, right now. But you see, for Joan, that wasn't always the case. See, life didn't just take a turn for the worst. The bottom dropped out of her life, and she came crashing down. And for Joan, things wouldn't get better for a while. But if you had seen Joan before this, you would have thought that she had everything that anybody would ever want. She was married to a wealthy businessman. They had a beautiful mansion in one of the most prestigious neighborhoods in the city where they lived. They had three children who were doing great. She had it all. Some could say she was living the dream. But years into her marriage, things began to take a shift. Her husband became more and more distant, and he shared less things with her. And she just chalked it up to, well, he's busy growing his new and successful business. But he became more and more distant over the years and seemed irritated all the time at her. So Joan started to see a counselor, and she invited her husband to come, but he wanted nothing to do with that. So she went month after month on her own. Things weren't getting any better. So frustrated and exhausted, some friends of Joan's said, you need a weekend away. Rent a house on the lake and just get away for the weekend. So Joan and her friends did that. But little did she know what would take place while she was gone. You see, for 18 months, her husband had been planning his departure from their marriage. He put all of the assets of his business from his name. He divested them into his business partner's name, changed the house into his name. 30 minutes after Joan drove out of her driveway to go to the lake, the moving vans showed up, emptied everything out of her house. Sunday evening, she drives back and and drives down the beautiful tree-lined lane to her home. Seeing all the lights were dark, everything was dark in the house. She was a little perplexed, but she didn't think much of it until she unlocked the front door and opened the door and found nothing inside. Everything was gone off the walls. All that was left were her clothes on the floor in her bedroom in a twin mattress. Everything fell apart for Joan. 
the unimaginable happened. Her husband left and he took everything. He took the kids, he took the money, everything that she ever had. The next day, she called her counselor, and as you can imagine, she said, I have no hope anymore. I have lost everything. I don't want to keep going. Think about it. She had built her life on all of these things. A wonderful husband, so she thought, a beautiful home, money, cars, everything anyone could want was taken away from her. And as the months unfolded, she began to realize hope really was not in those things. Hope wasn't in those things. She began to see that hope could not be found in those things if she was going to keep going in life. And so over the difficult and painful years, something began to change. Joan began to live with eternity in view, which gave her the ability to have hope in the present. You see, Joan began to realize that if God was bringing restoration in the final day, then surely he must have started that restoration process now, and she was in the middle of it. As things got worse before they got better, Joan had hope that her Savior was also her restorer. And in that, she lived every day trusting God's great goodness that he would never leave her nor forsake her. Friends, what Advent shows us, it invites us to live life with eternity in view. The passage we're going to look at that was read a moment ago from Isaiah 65 tells us that God one day will make everything new. And for the followers of Christ, there will be a new heaven and a new earth where all of the pain and suffering and sorrows in this world will be done away with and made right. Listen again to the words from Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 19. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in them the sound of weeping or the cry of distress. Then Isaiah goes on to share a prophecy of what that will look like when things that were once broken apart come together, things like they were supposed to be before the fall. But the question we've got to ask is this, that's then, what about today? What is our hope for today if there will be a new heaven and a new earth, restoration ultimate? What about our lives today? Friends, your story may not be as devastating as Jones. Few are, but some have been. What we need to see is the hope of what is ahead is a present reality for us right here, right now. Advent invites us to see, to live with eternity in view, with the present hope that God is restoring what is broken among us and renewing the things in our lives. Scripture tells us that when Christ was born into this world, he came to begin to bring the kingdom of God into this world. And the resurrection of Jesus shows us that the restoration process has begun. Death has been dealt with ultimately. And friends, what you and I get to live with today is a foretaste of what's to come. That's what I want you to see. The hope that you and I have today is a foretaste of what is to come. More than any other prophet in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah writes about, wrote about the coming Messiah what he would be like and what he would do. Listen to these words from Isaiah 9, verse 2. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The Bible gives us, a lot of Im- gives us a lot of imagery. Light and darkness are one of those. Whenever you read about darkness in the scriptures, it's talking about the brokenness of this world. It's talking about this world filled with sin and sorrow. And what we see here is the hope that one day light will come. And friends, we're on the other side of that. The light has come. Jesus has come into this world, and we now live with this gospel promise that God is doing something new in our lives. Things have changed. They may not look like it all the time, but with Christ bringing the light of the world in this world, we can live with new hope and renewal for our lives. I want you to think about this, though. Even in light of what I just said, I recognize some of you might be thinking, Will things really change in my life? (laughs) Could things really get better? I talked to a couple of people already, and we're about to end 2023, and they said, I cannot wait for 2024 to begin because I want 2023 to be in the rearview mirror. It has been a hard year. And they weren't saying that joking. They were very serious about that. You see, the reality is because the light has come, we have hope. But friends, I recognize it's easy to become cynical. It's easy to become skeptical, wondering, will it change? Is change even possible? And some of you are probably wondering that right now. What I want to do for the next few minutes is look at two things. First, this, what keeps us from living in the hope of renewal today? What keeps us from living in the hope of renewal today? And the second thing we're going to look at briefly at the end is this, the hope that we have is a mission God has called us on of joy and peace. I'm going to wrap it up with that. First, let's look at this. What, what keeps us from living in this renewal now? Or, or another way to phrase it is what robs us from living out of this gospel hope that things can actually be different for you and me? Well, there are many things you could put on that list, but there's two I want to highlight. Regret and forgetfulness. What robs us of the hope today? Think about it. Regret and forgetfulness. Think about regret. It goes back to the question, where are you setting your eyes? Are you living with your eyes set toward eternity? Or are you living with your eyes looking back behind you with everything through the rearview mirror? I think one of the things that robs us of hope today is regret. I'm sure you've thought this. Maybe you have recently. We've all thought it. We think about this question, if only I had done fill in the blank. If only I had done this then things would have been different. Or, if only I had not done fill in the blank. It's easy to live with regret when we question, if only I had done this or if only I had not done, or if only I had handled the situation differently, then things would be different. You ever go there? Honestly, the older I get, I ask those questions. (laughs) Those are questions that we all ask ourselves. So the reality is we all wish we could have do-overs, don't we? We wish we could have do-overs. But friends, let me tell you what. The gospel brings us something greater than a do-over. When someone asked John Piper once, what do we do about regret? Here's what he said. When you find yourself in that place of regret, start here. Christ died to cover a 1,000 regrets, 10,000 regrets, a million regrets, Friends, that's good news. Christ died to cover not just a thousand, because Lord knows we have them, 
But he died to cover 10,000. He died to cover a million. What he's saying is that Christ paid it all. We sang that a moment ago. A moment ago. He paid it all so that you and I could have it all. The invitation for you and me in this season of Advent is not to look back at the regrets. We're tempted to do that. But when you're tempted to go there, let, that, let, the, let the radar go off that you turn your eyes back heavenward and see the light of Christ, what our Savior came to do in our midst. And what he did is he forgave our sins. <laughs> So often, our regrets are from things that we had done or left undone. You know, we pray this prayer of confession every Sunday. Friends, I wonder what it would be like if you took that with you. I think, I don't know if it's printed in your bulletin, but it's in mine because I get a different copy. But take that with you and pray that throughout the week. Because it's realizing, we're reminding ourselves that He has forgiven us past, present, and future. That's the good news of the hope of the gospel. What we also find is this, not only are we forgiven, but that we are covered by the mercy and grace of God every single day we live. He came to do something about our regret, about those broken places, about the shattered dreams of our lives. Friends, turn your eyes to Jesus, that you would see his light and set your eyes toward eternity, knowing that one day everything will be made right. But that gives us hope to live right here, right now. Friends, I realize this. If we don't walk with the hope of gospel change, that things can change, we're going to be like people standing in quicksand, sinking deeper and deeper, wiggling in everything we can to get out, but finding ourselves covered up to our neck and then over our heads. That's what living in regret looks like. But the Lord has given us a greater hope. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. He writes, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Is that not good news for us? Think about Paul's life. Think about his life before he came. He had that encounter to follow Jesus. He was persecuting Christians. He was having them murdered and killed and locked up into prison. You think Paul had some regrets? <laughs> but then even you look in Romans 7 and Paul shares about the struggle of his sin that's so real for all of us. You think Paul had regrets? But what does he say? One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Because I don't just stay stuck, He goes, but I press on. Paul lived with eternity in view because Paul knew the mercy and grace of Jesus in the cross. He was reminded of the cross every day he lived. And friends, that's the hope that you and I have when we look to the cross of Christ. The prophet Isaiah, a few chapters earlier, wrote this, speaking a prophecy of the Lord. I love this. Thus says the Lord, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Those of you who like to take notes, that's Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. Listen to what he wrote. The Lord says this. Remember, remember not the former things. Don't live in regret. 
nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing, and I love this. He says, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? He didn't say, well, just wait. He said, no, this new thing springs forth now. It's like that stump that's shooting out of a tree that that seems dead, but there is life, there is hope. And friends, that's the hope that you and I live in every day. Let me ask you this. Are there former things holding you back right now? Maybe I can reword that. What are the former things that are holding you back right now? Because we all have them. Do they have a grip on you that you can't seem to shake off? You feel like you're in that quicksand, shaking, trying to get out of it, but you just can't. Friends, one of the things I love in, our, in, in the communion liturgy that we do during the season of Pentecost, the ordinary season we just came out of, remember those of you who are regular here at St. Andrews, at the end of it, what do we do to the cross? We say these words, all our problems, what do we do? We get our hands, we say we send them to the cross of Christ. All our troubles, we send them to the cross of Christ. All the devil's works, we send them to the cross of Christ. And then what do we do? All our what? Hopes and dreams we set on the risen Christ. Friends, we need to remember that. We need to to work out our arm. We need to be throwing more things to the cross. Do they stay there and don't come back to us? But as we set our eyes on the cross, friends, we are invited and reminded to set our hopes and dreams on the risen Christ because that is who he is. He didn't remain in the grave. He rose from the grave, which tells us that he is at work restoring our lives right here, right now. Friends, what I want you to see is this. God will take what is hopeless and seemingly impossible in your life and he'll begin to restore it. Now, you may say, Robert, I've been praying that for years and I haven't seen it. Well, friends, I've been praying things like that, for, praying that prayer in certain ways for a lot of years too. I haven't seen things come, but I'm not going to give up because God isn't over. The story is not over, friends. There will come a day when all things will be made right and we live with hope that one day those things that seem hopeless or seemingly impossible, God will redeem and restore. That's the hope. The second thing, amen to that. The second thing we see is this that keeps us living in renewal is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. And our advent waiting for the second coming of Christ, if we don't set our eyes on eternity, we're going to be prone to forget some key truths. The first one is this, and it'll sound obvious, but we need to remember it. We still live in a fallen world. (laughs) We still live in a fallen world But while we live in the fallen world, the kingdom of God has broken in. And God is at work, even though things don't work the way they're supposed to. Sickness still happens. People still have to walk around with boots on their heel because things didn't work right on their feet. That's me up here, if you haven't noticed why I'm hobbling around. Kimberly and I were in Houston earlier this week for me to do the funeral of my aunt, someone who was very dear to me in my life. She was diagnosed with breast cancer many, many years ago and was was healed in that. But a few years later, it came back. And she was doing really well, but went to the doctor for a checkup and found that the cancer was over 90% of her her bones, taking over her entire body. But this precious woman lived with a joy and a hope that she never gave up until her last breath the other day. 
she lived with hope in a fallen, broken world that we have a Redeemer who will come and restore one day. But the world is still broken, isn't it? We still have conflicts with friends that leave us angry, bewildered, and sad. Some couples still experience distance in their marriage, and they're drifting further and further apart. Some live with stress over their finances, and you wonder if you will ever get ahead. All kinds of questions like that. We still live in a fallen world. But friends, listen. When we set our eyes on eternity, we are reminded of the hope of Christ that we have been forgiven, we've been given new hearts. The Spirit of the Lord lives within us so that we walk in this world differently. That's the key. You and I walk differently in this broken world. We walk as people who are redeemed, as people who in our lives between the, before the Lord are restored. And so we bring a hope to the fallenness of this world. That's the first thing we need to see. The second one is we need to be reminded of this, that God is sovereign. God truly is sovereign. That's not a trite saying that someone would, that I would just throw out. You see, we can look at this world and wonder if anyone is holding it together, right? We often wonder that. And contrary to what some may believe, this world is not spinning out of control. So it looks like it. But listen to these words from Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Paul wrote, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Did you hear that? In him all things hold together. He created all things. He knows everything. Friends, listen, he knows what's going on in your life right now. He knows what you haven't shared with somebody else. He knows what you're holding on inside. And I want you to see this because God is sovereign. He sees you, he is with you, and he will never forsake you. And he knows how to lead you forward. And there is a way forward. And he knows how to lead you in that. What's so beautiful is that the birth of Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God, the resurrection of Jesus confirms that Jesus is the ruling king over this world. And he is on his throne, ruling over every part of your life and mine. Friends, that's a hope, to know that it's not up to me, it's not up to you. It's not up to someone who's running our country or another country. We are under the control of the merciful, gracious, sovereign hands of a God who is making all things new and will one day restore everything. That's what we've got to see. Let me wrap this up with this. Friends, there is tremendous hope in the calling that you and I have ahead. When you and I live with eternity in view, listen to these words, verses 18 and 19 from Isaiah 65. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people no more shall be heard the sound of weeping or the cry of distress. Friends, as followers of Christ, we are people of joy, of gladness, because the Savior has come, and we know he's coming back. I don't know if you've noticed each Sunday we have a new banner on the side of the sanctuary, Hope, Peace, Joy. There'll be a fourth banner next Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Advent. 
Each Sunday, there's a theme, and these themes remind us of what God has done and does in our lives today. And because of that, we can live. Today is joy. We can live as people of joy because the Savior has come. And even the challenges that are before us, we know that he is working all things to bring renewal and restoration. That's the hope that you and I have. Think about the opportunities that we have to live with intentionality. Friends, listen, there are people all around us today when we walk out of here, when we wake up tomorrow, who are living in darkness, who are living without hope, who are trying to find things in this world to bring them and satisfy the voids in their hearts. I know that because I so often find myself in that place. But what you and I bring is the hope of the gospel. We bring the hope of a Savior who has come and is coming back. Friends, that's the joy of this season as we celebrate Christmas ahead. N.T. Wright put it this way in his book, Surprised by Hope, wrote this, to hope for a better future in this world, for the poor, the sick, the lonely, the depressed, for the slaves, the refugees, the hungry and homeless, for the abused, the paranoid, the downtrodden and despairing. In fact, for the whole wide, wonderful world, it's not something else, something extra, something tacked onto the gospel as an afterthought. Friends, it is the very gospel itself. And you and I, those who know Jesus as Savior, we get to bring that hope of redeeming grace and restoring love to those around us. It is real. And the way that we can bring that is that we know ourselves the grace and mercy that we've been given, that we can live with hope, peace, and joy and bring that to those around us. That's the gift of what we bring this Christmas to this community around us, to our families who will be gathering around our tables, to our friends. I want to end with this beautiful, very short, ancient prayer that the church has prayed for centuries. And it goes like this. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. You pray that with me? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That is our hope. And that is the hope of this world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that as you lead us on this journey, And it is a season, though, filled with much joy. We're all reminded of the challenges, the pain and suffering that this life holds. We all know what shattered dreams are like. We all know the hopes that we have for for, for members of our family and friends that have not come together yet. But Jesus, you have shown us that when we have our eyes set toward eternity, there is hope because we know what's ahead. And so, Father, through the grace and power and presence of your Holy Spirit, would you so invigorate our hearts, our lives, and our minds with a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit that we would walk as people of hope in this world today, that as we do, our prayer would be, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen.